We've been talking about the church and we've been talking about trying to recover from our culture a more biblical understanding of the church. And uh, now there's a very strong tendency in the church. American culture has had a very strong influence in how the church thinks of itself around the world. Um, and so we've developed a, what I would call a, a commercial understanding of the church. And so uh, ra- I did, rather than you know just talk about what all's wrong with the commercial understanding of the church, as in the church is a, an institution that provides a service in the community for people who need that particular service. Uh, and uh, so people give money to the church in exchange for the uh, religious or spiritual services of the church. And that mentality is very deeply ingrained. I've found in churches just about everywhere I've been uh, because I think, and I think the reason for that is because uh, the, the largest portion of missionary work in the world in the 20th century came from the United States where we have this sort of commercial idea about all of life. And so uh, there's no reason not to think of the church the same way we think of Walmart. And so some people like little boutique bookstore churches, so we have a lot of those. And some people like giant, uh, anything you might possibly want in your spiritual life churches, like a spiritual Walmart, so we have a few of those. And everything is geared to what do we expect people will like. (laughs) And anybody who thinks he might want to be, decides he's a pastor and starts a church. We have a very entrepreneurial attitude about uh, establishing church. Well, okay, enough said about that. Really what we've been trying to do in this course is look at the words the Bible uses to describe what the church actually is and what it's intended to be according to Scripture. And so we've talked about the church as an assembly uh, that's sort of like a group called out from the larger community to form a community. Uh, we've talked about the church as the body. That's the, where the title of our course comes from. One new man is the expression in the book of Ephesians where the group of us is considered to be a single body of Christ. And so we talked some about that. That's a very organic image uh, We've talked about the church as a family. What, what's a good family? How do families function? And what if we took that idea and took it seriously in application to the church, where when we call each other brother or sister, we're not, it's not a euphemism, it's the truth. Uh, What does it mean that we're all adopted by God and that we all regard God as our Father? 
and each other as brother. Uh, that might change how we think about ourselves and that might change how we operate together. <clears throat> uh, so we spent some time talking about that. Last time we talked about the church as a temple. The temple is a place where people come together to meet with God. Typically bringing a sacrifice. And so we talk about the temple of the church. The sacrifice of the church is Christ himself that makes us, that well, that qualifies us to meet with God. And so we come together to meet with God in church. It's a, it's a worship that takes place in a temple. So that brings us to today, and we're going to talk about the church as a flock. <clears throat> this is a... <clears throat> Uh, very interesting metaphor uh, to talk about. Uh, I'll just start like this. Suppose I were to call you a sheep. Everyone, all you guys, you're just a bunch of sheep. Anyone, anyone think I'm giving a compliment? I, uh, I, I looked on Facebook. I did a little search on the word sheep. Oh my goodness. Nobody is calling anyone a sheep and meaning something good about by it. The thing is, it is offensive unless you are a goat. <laughs> <laughs> what? So if you're a goat, it's not offensive to be called a sheep? No, sheep is that'd be a promotion. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh here we are. The Bible says if you're in God's community, you are a sheep. You're calling me sheepish? Uh, <laughs> no, not sheepish. Sheep. Uh, wow. So uh, we're going to have to figure out how not to be insulted by that. I think maybe to begin with, we should be insulted by it. Because when the Lord says, you're my sheep, it is humbling. And it's supposed to be. And perhaps by getting a little bit insulted, we will also get a little more honest. Uh, but <clears throat> maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. I just wanted to review these scriptures and I got to go fast because I've given you a list of scriptures in which the people of God are re regarded as sheep with a shepherd, a flock, the flock of God. <clears throat> maybe the most famous passage in the Bible about sheep and a shepherd is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. <laughs> Well, that's a passage probably several of us have memorized. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a, place before, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
you've anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I've on your handout here, I've made a bunch of categories, and we're going to just kind of talk about this stuff as we go through these texts, not necessarily in any given order. Uh, <clears throat> but we see here a description of a good shepherd. What does, what does a good shepherd do? A good shepherd provides food. I shall not want. I shall not go hungry. The Lord's my shepherd. The good shepherd provides rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In pleasant places, uh, he uh, leads me beside quiet waters. He, as, I, as I read this text, I think the word rest comes into my head. It's very serene, uh, very tranquil, very peaceful, <coughs> settled. Well, then you get to, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, well, that doesn't seem too settled. And uh, I think most of us probably read this like this. Should I ever walk through the valley of the shadow of death? But I don't think that's really correct. the correct way to read this. I think <laughs> the correct way to read this is I'm walking through the valley of shadow, the shadow of death. Operating here in this earthly plane, we are constantly always walking in the in the valley of the shadow of death. There's no, there's no other place we walk. But even though that's our condition, he's, this, David says, I will fear no evil. I fear, I'm, I'm not afraid. Why is he not afraid? You are with me. Because of the presence of the shepherd, the sheep's not afraid, even though he's surrounded by threats. But the shepherd's there, so it's okay. It, again, it's this reminder of safety. <laughs> uh, shepherds provide safety. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the rod and the staff of a shepherd's function in, in multiple ways. Uh, they might uh, they might function to discipline the sheep. Like if the sheep's going astray, it might get whacked by the rod and staff of the shepherd. Uh, get back over here to safety. <laughs> so that could be a comfort. I could say in case if I were to ever you know start going astray, the shepherd's going to use his rod and staff to keep me safe. That's a comfort. Also, it's a comfort because the rod and the staff would be used to fend off predators. So, uh, again, I'm comforted by the presence of the shepherd and the fact that he's armed. I'm not armed. Sheep do not carry rods and staffs. This goes to the first point here. Sheep don't shepherd themselves. 
This is one of the reasons why if you call me a sheep, I'm insulted because I want to think I can shepherd myself. (laughs) Okay. This brings me to the next passage, Isaiah 53, 6, where it says, all of us, how many of us? All of us, like sheep. Now, in this case, the prophet Isaiah is not calling us sheep uh, in a complimentary way. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now, this is about the Redeemer Messiah. That, so God has put our iniquities on him. That solves our iniquity problem. But one of the things that the, the lesson here is, what is it that sheep do in this text? They go astray. They go astray. Sheep that are not managed by a good shepherd, what will happen to them? They will go astray. None of them are any good at sticking with the flock and the shepherd. Shepherd has to take care of this. Sheep don't shepherd themselves. In Jeremiah 23, it's a prophecy about the Messiah. And, but it begins with the, uh, what are the results of bad shepherds? So <clears throat> this is Jeremiah prophesying against the leadership of the nation of Israel and calling them bad shepherds of the Lord's sheep. And uh, so what happens to them? Uh, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away not attended to them. And I am about to attend to you (laughs) for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. So what happens to sheep that have bad shepherds? Well, they're scattered, they're driven away, they're not attended to. That word attended to means uh, pastured. Now, in the rest of this chapter, Jeremiah 23, it's all about the ministry of the word of God and false prophets versus true prophets. And uh, so bad shepherds are bad ministers of the word of God. But what happens to sheep if they don't have a good shepherd is they get scattered. They get driven away. They are not well cared for. They're not attended to. And apparently they need to be attended to. Now, the, maybe the best passage for this whole idea is in Ezekiel chapter 34. I think it's interesting in Jeremiah too, it's where are you driven and where are you scattered? So over mm-hmm. and over again, destruction. So mm-hmm. you really focus on, right? As yeah. sheep. What happens? the shepherd, destruction. Yeah, and we haven't heard the end of that. In in Ezekiel chapter 34, 
the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat, clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The disease you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up or bandaged. The scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. My flock was scattered all over the surface of the earth. There was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely my, because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for the lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I myself will search out my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the, the countries and bring them to their own land and feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop there. It go, he goes on and he continues with this shepherding uh, image. Uh, but here again, when... The sheep have a bad shepherd. They're not fed. They're weak, sick, injured, strayed, lost. Apparently, they are not capable of taking care of themselves. Hmm. They're scattered, endangered. They're exposed to the elements and to predators. But the good shepherd, I believe... We're going to also look at John 10 here in a minute when Jesus comes along and he says, I am the good shepherd. Everyone, him and everyone listening to him must remember this text because that's what he's talking about. He's, the good shepherd will search, seek, rescue, sort, gather, bring to good pasture and rest. 
seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, strengthen the weak. And he goes on to say, we'll sort the sheep from the goats. <laughs> and we'll find out from Jesus later in the Gospels, we're not going to look at it specifically today, that he's the judge that will sort the sheep and the goats. That even today in the life of the church, we got goats mixed in with the sheep and someday ever, that's all going to get sorted out. So Bob was right. If you get called, if you're a goat and you get called a sheep, somebody's doing you a favor. But uh, anyway, he will rescue us from the predators. In the end, at the conclusion of this chapter, he says, then they, that is the sheep, will know that I, the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord, their God, am with them. Now remember the psalm. What is the comfort for the sheep? The presence of the shepherd. (laughs) And he says, Then they will know that I, the Lord, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people. They will know. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pastor, you are men, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. This is the correct response. Oh, okay. I'm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the presence of the shepherd comforts me. His rod and staff comfort me. He will take care. He will take care. He knows my own capacities or lack thereof, and he will see to that. So... <clears throat> We've seen the uh, sort of comparison in these Old Testament prophecies between the bad shepherds and the good shepherds. The good shepherd, singular. In Matthew chapter 9, verse Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing. Now, I just want us to stop there on the word healing and notice this is one of the functions of the good shepherd that we just read about in Ezekiel. He takes care of the sick. He bandages the injured. Healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness Now, what we have next here is a peek into the heart of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. This word is where we... This word, felt compassion, is where we get the English term gut-wrenching. He felt compassion for them. He was moved. He was emotional over this because they were distressed and dispirited like 
sheep without a shepherd. He's seeing the sheep scattered on the mountainside, subject to the elements and the predators and the everything, not cared for, not fed. And what is the consequence for them? They're distressed. And I get this picture of this sheep sort of stuck in a, a briar patch in the mountainside in the snowstorm. And what that sheep feels and Jesus is moved because when he looks around on this earth at human beings, that's what he sees. Like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, we've just kind of switched metaphors in the middle of this paragraph here, right? From sheep to crops. But I'm going to switch back and say what Jesus says saying here to the disciples is in effect, guys, it's roundup time. It's time to gather. Scattering has taken place. It's time to gather. Brokenness is everywhere. It's time to heal. It's time to gather the harvest. We need help. We need more workers. And so Jesus says, ask the Lord to send more workers because there's a lot to be done. And he's, this is his response to seeing people and being moved because they're dispirited and distressed like sheep without a shepherd. Now, in chapter 10 and chapter 11, there's really kind of more in this. It fits the story because that's when he sends the disciples out and he gives them power and they're casting out demons and all that, lots of stuff. And, uh, and then in chapter 11, we deal with, with uh, John the Baptist getting distressed. Well, that's interesting. What's that tell you about John the Baptist? Well, He's a sheep. He's dealing with this, the predators. Uh, but in any case, at the end of chapter 11, Jesus says this, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. He's referring to the disciples. Now, if someone comes along and calls you a baby, are you complimented? Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight, for all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Now, this is the frame that we just opened in chapter 9. When he looks out and he He's moved with compassion because he sees the people distressed. And now he says, come to me. Come to me if you're distressed, if you're weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle, humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the gathering 
This is the shepherd gathering his sheep. I will give you rest. Well, this is a perfect reflection of what the good shepherd does for the sheep in the Old Testament, isn't it? It's rest. Rest. It's a green pasture to lie down in. Not to run because you're getting chased. To rest. Uh, Okay, well, this brings us to John chapter 10. Now, this is a lot, a long text, so I don't know how much of it I can read, but this is the Good Shepherd text in, in, in John chapter 10. In verse 11, he says, I am the Good Shepherd. Now, when Jesus says, preaching, I am the Good Shepherd, everyone goes, you mean the Ezekiel Good Shepherd? And there's literally nothing else he could mean. I am, (laughs) that's the God title, the Good Shepherd. And God in Ezekiel says, I'll do it myself. You shepherds are no good. All you've done is feed yourselves and scatter the sheep. I'll do it myself. So here he is. He has arrived. I am the Good Shepherd, he says. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Hired hands don't do that. Uh, In verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just like the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I think he's talking about Gentile sheep. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice. This is the gathering from the nations. They will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that they may take, so that I may take it again. Uh, And sorry, I'm skipping down here. Jews gathered around him in verse 24, saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they testify of me. But you don't believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Um, So in this text, (laughs) here's the functioning of the Good Shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. Now we understand that to mean the, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus that makes the restoration to fellowship with God possible for us and grants to us eternal life. Uh, He lays down his life for the sheep. He knows his sheep and they know him. 
so that when the good shepherd appears on the scene and says, here I am, sheep, his sheep go, there he is, let's go. (laughs) They know their own shepherd. Well, I'm going to just pause here for a little emphasis on this lesson. The thing here is, know the shepherd. (laughs) This is the thing. Know the shepherd. (laughs) Recognize his voice distinguished from the other voices. The the phony shepherds that aren't always coming along. I stick with the one, the right one. And that is Jesus. Uh, He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. He brings the sheep together in one flock. Now, here's something we haven't observed yet about us sheep. We need to be flocked. And this is now we're talking about the church. Up until now, we've been talking about a sheep and his or her relationship to the shepherd. But the shepherd's relationship is with the flock, not just each sheep. So each of us hear his voice and follow, and we follow together. We're supposed to be together. They follow me. I know them. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. If Jesus Christ gives you eternal life, you have eternal life. Period. He says, I keep them. No one can snatch them. all kinds of weird teaching in the world, all kinds of destructive understandings in the world. Who keeps you? You? Well, good luck with that. You're just not smart enough. The shepherd keeps the sheep. Sheep don't keep themselves. Uh, So it's kind of important to keep track of the shepherd. The Christian life is the Christian life. It's Christ-centered. That's extremely, well, it's not just extremely important. It is the important thing. This reminds me of what Jesus said in John chapter 6. He didn't use this sheep and shepherd metaphor, but he said in John chapter 6, I will not lose a single one. When Jesus, the good shepherd, goes out to gather his sheep, does he miss any? Not a single one. Not a single one. I mean, what I hope to get for for us, us to get from this a little bit is, oh, okay, well, things are things are okay then. The world is a rotten, horrible place. And I'm speaking as a pretty rich white guy in a very privileged position in this world. But even people like me, who are sort of at the top of the pile, are in a pile. And the world will get you. It's the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, but there's a shepherd. <laughs> that I, I think often, I think, when I stop and think about it long enough, 
Here's, here's a summary of the Christian life. Oh, right, Jesus. Right, Jesus. Okay. Okay, then. That's all there is to it. It's not about, you know, whether I march and step with some other sheep. It's about, oh, yeah, Jesus, the shepherd. One flock around the shepherd. Now, that doesn't mean there's nothing for me to do. Obviously, there is. But I begin and end resting. In fact, all my labor is resting labor. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. John, later recalling this conversation, I think, says his commandments are not burdensome. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. It's not like problem. So I keep them. I will not lose a single one. Then in John chapter 21, uh, Jesus has this discussion with Peter. You remember this discussion? Do you love me, Peter? Yeah, you know I do. No. Do you love me? Look, you know everything. You know I love you. Yeah. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. And each in each one of those rounds, there's three rounds of do you love me? Yes, I love you. The conclusion is feed my sheep or it goes like this. Feed my sheep, tend or shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Well, now this has gotten a little weird. Up until now, <laughs> there's one shepherd. And now it looks like Jesus is hiring another shepherd. Uh huh. So we need to go to 1 Peter chapter 2 to begin with. 1 Peter. Now remember, 1 Peter is written by the guy who had that conversation with Jesus, (laughs) who said to him, Feed my sheep. In chapter 2. Uh, let me start with verse 21. And by the way, First Peter is written to people who are walking in the, in the valley of the shadow of death. He's trying to address people suffering persecution for their faith in Christ. He says to them, since you have been called for this purpose, this is chapter 2, verse 21, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Now, Peter is consciously referring to Isaiah 53 here. Uh, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. Again, that's another verse in Isaiah 53. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian, this translation says. Another word here is overseer which is a better translation, of your souls, overseer. 
you've returned to the shepherd. You were wandering all over the hillsides. Now you're back with the shepherd. All right. Then he, in the next two chapters, gives a bunch of concrete examples of how that ought to change how we uh, understand ourselves and relate to each other. And then he says in chapter 5, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight. That's the same word as guardian, by the way. Shepherd and overseer. Now he says shepherd and oversee. Shepherd the flock, oversight. That's a word for care, not command. Just so I'm clear. When I, when I say who's your overseer, I might mean who's your boss. That is not the meaning of this. The meaning is somebody who looks after you, watches over you, guards you, not someone who bosses you. And he says, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not lording it, now, this is more explicitly not bossing you, not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, and then he goes on to talk about, well, then what about the flock? What are they supposed to do? He says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety or cares on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brother, brothers who are in the world. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now that just really reminded me of the passage in Ezekiel about what the good shepherd does. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what's the flock do? Well, it says here, submit yourselves to the elders. Pay attention to the elders who are sort of like shepherd, agent, sheep. We'll say more about that in a second. It says, be humble in relation to each other. So defer to each other. In the passage in Ezekiel, in the part we didn't read, there's a there's a this concept of the sheep, some of the the the, the goat sheep, the, there's bad sheep, and they're like always competing and trampling the food of the other sheep and knocking them out of the way to feed themselves. And here Peter's saying, No. 
defer to each other in the flock. Make room for the sheep next to you in the flock. Humble yourself under God so that he may exalt you in the proper time. I'll never forget, I heard this one time, this preacher guy in Nashville who I normally wouldn't agree about much of anything. But uh, <laughs> this guy, he was, he was talking about this passage that says the same thing in the book of James. Humble yourselves before God and he will exalt you. And I think they're both quoting some Old Testament text. He says, let me put it to you like this. Your job is to humble yourself. God's job is to exalt you in due time. If you start doing God's job, he'll start doing yours. <laughs> I can never read this text without saying that now. So anyway, just a little word of warning there. But uh, what do we do? What does it mean to humble yourself so that God may exalt you? It means let God be the manager of your status. You do not need to put yourself above other sheep. You're just as sheep as they are. But you look to the shepherd and if, let him do the necessary exalting of you. Like Jesus said, you know, when you go to a big fancy dinner, don't, don't go up there and sit in the best seat. Sit in the worst seat. You, you do not move yourself up the table. You sit in the worst seat. And then somebody's going to come along and say, what are you doing down here? Come on, move. You, you belong. Then you'll find out exactly where you belong. <laughs> Let the shepherd take care of the status. Okay? You trust yourself to him. You rest in God. You rest in God. Humble yourself. Casting all your anxiety on him. You have any anxiety? I can come up with some anxiety in about a half a second. <laughs> at any moment, at a moment's notice, if I need to have some anxiety, I can produce it. It's right there all the time. All I got to do is direct my attention to any number of things and anxiety will result. What am I supposed to do? Oh, wait, there's a shepherd. That's what I'm supposed to do. Oh, wait, there's a shepherd, and he's good at this. And I'm an idiot. If I, what I do with anxiety is just have it. I'm, very, I'm no good at all at resolving it. Even if I resolve the problem that was creating the anxiety, I can hang on to the anxiety. I'm just not any good at this. He's resolved everything. I can trust myself to him. I can say, Lord, I know you, you're the all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving God. Can you please handle this? And I have the assurance of God's word that he is in the process of handling it. He's way ahead of me. Oh, right. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He can beat this off. 
I can work the problem. I don't, you know, I don't need to just lie down and ignore the world, but I, I can trust him to handle it. Now, in the middle of this text, he says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a lion, ready to devour someone. So here's, I wanna, here's how I want to say that. Keep an eye out for the predators. But what if you spot one? This says, resist the devil. James says it too. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. How do you resist the devil? I might follow the advice of Ephesians 6, put on the armor of God. What is the armor of God, really? Christ is the armor of God. I put on Christ. I look to the shepherd. If I spot a predator, if I see the devil playing around the church, I do not go into that battle by myself. Lions eat sheep. They don't eat the shepherd. So I look to him. I trust him. Are you starting to get the idea here that the main event in the flock is the shepherd? Keep an eye out. Resist. Firm in faith. That means trusting in Christ. God will restore, he says. Uh, you'll have a little trouble after you've suffered for a little while. The distresses of this world. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Oh, I didn't call myself to his eternal glory. I don't perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish myself. Oh, to me, this is the key observation about this, this uh, image of the church as a flock with a shepherd is there's a shepherd <laughs> and we are not him. Now, some of the old sheep help with the shepherding. This is the best way to talk, take the first few verses of this chapter. Some of the old sheep, that means sheep who've been around the flock for a while, who maybe have learned where the shepherd is and recognize his voice a little more readily than the rest of us. Some of the old sheep help with the shepherding. And so what, is, what does an elder in the church, what are they called to do? Shepherd the flock. But an elder in the church is just another sheep who's now got some shepherding responsibilities. What does he do? He keeps an eye on the shepherd for the rest of us. That's all. Overseeing, that means taking care. Not, and I'm just going back to the first few verses of ch chapter five here. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. Not under compulsion but voluntarily. 
If anyone regards serving as an old sheep in the flock, they should quit. If they regard it as troublesome, duty, they should just stop doing it for a while. It's not a big deal. There is a shepherd after all. And honestly, I think the shepherd lets some of the old sheep help with the shepherding, not because he needs help with the shepherding, but because it's good for them. It helps them keep track of him. <laughs> he lets me be the pastor. That's the, by the word. By the way, the word pastor means shepherd. He lets me be the pastor because that's a good way for him to get me to keep paying attention to him. Not because he needs my help with you. Because he could manage without me. Uh, but anyway, you get the idea. So uh, he says, don't do this because you have to. Do it because you want to. And he says, don't do it for gain. Do it for free. That, that's literally what the word means. Not for sort of gain, but with eagerness. The word for eagerness here is a word they used for uh, societal patrons who did a bunch of good stuff in the community out of the goodness of their hearts for free. <laughs> Eagerly. They wanted to help. Uh, he says, not lording, but leading. It's really hard for us to figure out how to exercise oversight without lording, but that's what we're charged with here. How do we oversee and not Lord. That's what we do. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he's the Lord of all. So, uh, okay. Us, us sheep shepherds uh, need to figure out how to, how to uh, bring the other sheep along without becoming bossy. It's a challenge. Sheep are idiots, and even the other sheep can observe this. And so it's hard to resist the urge sometimes to not call them on it. To say, look, you idiot sheep, he's over here. But uh, I had a pastor one time said, you know, it's just not a good idea to be mad at the sheep. It's just, uh, that's probably not going to get you anywhere. So uh, we're, I've gone way too long already, but uh, so we'll, we'll stop. There's a lot to talk about here. There's a lot more we could have talked about because this idea of the God as the shepherd of his people is really deeply ingrained in the whole Bible. Uh, it goes back to his selection of David, his selection of Moses. These, both of these men were shepherds before they became the leader of Israel. So... Uh, we could do a lot of studying about that, too. I'm stopping there. Any comments, questions, discussion points? I, I read a book called A Shepherd Looks at hmm. Psalm 23, and it's written by uh, Philip Keller. It's yeah. available on Amazon. Um, I read it a number of years ago. And it's an actual shepherd out of Vancouver Island um, that spent you know, decades as a shepherd. And he goes over verse by verse, I think 
there's it's it's quite a large book, but it's it's one of the best studies I've ever read on on uh, Psalms twenty three. I'm glad you brought that up, John. I meant to recommend that when I was talking about Psalm twenty three, and I forgot. Yeah, so that's a shepherd looks at Psalm twenty three by Philip Keller. It's and it's it's not just a pretty good exposition of the text uh, from the perspective of somebody who was experienced in managing sheep, actual sheep, which really helps, you know, sort of fill out the metaphor, maybe too far sometimes, but still it's good. It's also very well written. Like it is a, it's a, it's a pleasure to read that book. I just wanted to say that. I think it's important to, because sheep, like we're all idiots. And that's, we really see that, like the grace of God in all of us, and even it makes it easier not to lord or, or boss other people around, right? Or to think that we're better than them. But the power for the Christian, the power for the sheep, because there's evil within the sheep. So I think that's why in John, when we read John 10, and then you go on, and in John 6, 17, 16, mainly, the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I think that's. Because we cannot follow the shepherd. Peter learned that, right? Without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think in the church today is what we're really missing is the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper, our counselor, our guide. And and we can like what Jesus has done for us as sheep, we just don't have an evil world. We have an evil body. And that's why we have a choice. And John and I talked about it and I like as far as you say humans, he looked at, he sees it more as like, we're choosers, we have a choice. And we right now, when we're in well by the Holy Spirit, we can either follow the Holy Spirit, or we can follow our sinful flesh. I think that's what's deceiving and blinding, is in our own sin, that we really do have to intentionally choose to follow the Holy Spirit. That's the power in the Christian life, getting to know him as a person, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm always learning every day through just experiences that and understanding sheep that I, I imagine myself in a flock and if I'm still a sheep, my tendency will always be to take a step too far or be in danger or to just wonder. Mm-hmm. And Hearing the voice of the shepherd, I, I, I don't, and we used to, I think, have this sense that, that the shepherd was sitting on a rock quietly somewhere over here, watching over, and that if something went wrong, there'd be a voice to say, hey, uh, you might want to come back here, or watch out, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was that uh, the voice was always there. Mm. That, that to me, it's, it's, it's hearing the voice of God every day mm. and through the Holy Spirit. Right. But do I, in the midst of the noise of the flock mm. and, the, <laughs> and the the howling what? of the wolves, and <laughs> do do I do I hear that that Jesus is calling? Yeah, always. Right. And can I can I hear that voice? And can I follow? Right. And. Th- that we should regard as a positive opportunity. Uh, 
because the sheep aren't self-managing. I, because of the presence of the Spirit, if I'm his sheep, I hear his voice. And if I start ignoring his voice, it's not as though the Spirit is going to ignore that. Or, and Jesus says, I don't lose a single one. To me, that is so reassuring. There's a, there's a liberty to stray. And I know my liberty to stray is limited by his oversight. <laughs> and it's personal. It's not just, you know, a bunch of, it, it's not a big old fence or wall out there someplace. It's, he comes after me. I've seen this operate in my own life, you know, where I'm just not paying any attention. In fact, I guess I want to say I see this operating in my life on a weekly basis because by Thursday, I'm sure not paying any attention. And in, and I come together with the flock on Sunday and we're all going, oh, yeah, wait, there's a shepherd. Right. But I also have seen it in the big seasons of life, you know, where I'm just not paying any attention. And he doesn't just leave that alone. Uh, he doesn't lose a single one. So, yeah, I, I can lie down in this here green pasture and I'm fine, I'm good. The Christ, for the Christian, life is settled. It's still unsettled, <laughs> but it's settled. So, oh man, what a place of safety, security, and therefore liberty to be, I can be, like Luther said, a bold sinner. <laughs> and I can go, you know, bang and go, oh, whoops. And I'm still going to be okay. Uh, I'm going to find out more of the grace of God. Um, I'm not, I don't want to do that, but, you know, that's what Luther said, sin boldly. Uh, and that's, this was his point. You can't, you can't escape the grasp of God. Uh, There's a special verse of Special verse in the Bible, um, um, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Hmm. It's very important because um, when, we, when, we, when we grasp to that, it's like, the Christian life is always constant prayer. Whatever mm. you do, prayer, 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 prayer. I think, yeah, that's that. Mm -hmm. that, that keeps you like focused. Like, uh, uh, before I come, uh, have a meeting, have a discussion, pray. Right. If I'm going on the road for protection, I need to pray. Well, so now, Frank, you said Proverbs three, five, and six. I think you better tell us what it says. Trust the Lord. Yeah, that is here. Here's, here's a Doug paraphrase. You are a sheep. Look to the shepherd, not your own self. <laughs> Let him direct your paths and he will be faithful to do so. Lean not on your own understanding. Yeah. 
I see we have two things to do in order to stay on the track, which is very, we can't do it, we can't stay on the track, but there's two things that you have to do every day. One is pray, and the other is stay at work. Mm-hmm. Read the Bible, and you pray, that's all you can do, and God takes care of the rest. What's your access to the voice of the shepherd? Your best access to the voice of the shepherd? And, you know, for most of the history of the church, I I couldn't have one of these as a regular. Well, I could, but you couldn't. We'd have one in the church, maybe, that probably someone in my role hand-copied and we could read that on Sunday. Now, <laughs> you have I don't care what language you want it in, it's on your phone. You can have it anytime, any place, under any. What a, a ridiculous privilege that is. So, yeah, you have access, you can listen to the voice of the shepherd. It's easier than ever. Yeah. So, pray and read the Bible. Yeah, which are really two ways of saying the same thing, in my opinion, but okay. (laughs) As you know, I often say the entire Christian life is pray. That's all. That's supposed to make you think a little harder. Well, don't you think that Pastor Doug, that in North America, we have so much access to the Word of God, but we're the most illiterate? Because you hear voices and messages every day, and mm-hmm. they're lying. It's lying. And if you're not in the Word of God, though, for a week, but if you, you need to be in truth, and you can be praying, and you can be deceived, because uh, we're constantly being attacked. And if you're in the Word of God, is we don't worship the Word, but we do follow and worship the Shepherd. And I think it's a really I would I would also God. say the the reverse, which is many people read their Bible every day and have no idea what it is they've read because they don't know the Shepherd. So. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to disagree with read your Bible. <laughs> I'm, all I'm saying is what Jesus purchased for us by the cross yeah. is access to God, because and that access is the whole thing. It's from that that everything else proceeds, and so it's by living in fellowship with God that we live in right fellowship with everything else. This is the message of the Bible. And of course, living in fellowship with God, well, he did write a book. I might want to read it. <laughs> I, I want to know him. What, what's the best way to know him? It's the word. It's the word. It's the word. So, yeah. All of the above is what I'm trying to say. My, what I mean when I'm saying the whole of the Christian life is prayer is simply that 
even when I'm acting, when I'm working, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. My life is to be a prayer. I've, there's two things, by the way, this is uh, I'll just, again, all of the above. There's two things in the Bible that I'm aware of that you're supposed to do all the time. One is pray, and one is think about the Scripture. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 1, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Think. Hmm. That means think about what the Bible says all the time. <laughs> I, I, isn't that saying in a slightly different way, pay attention to the voice of the shepherd? Yeah. Okay. We're one hour and nine we minutes. We got a nap. Okay, can I pray and then we'll make the announcement? Because I don't mean to record the announcement. Father, thanks for uh, your amazing love for us, your great grace toward us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you did not leave us strays. Thank you for the body of Christ, the church. Thank you for the flock in which we share this relationship with our shepherds. Thank you for the spirit that uh, gives us life and makes all these things possible for each of us and for all of us together. Thank you for this time together, for the great food. We pray you bless the ladies who made it for us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. 